Welcome back to the podcast. My name is No Sybil, the host and producer of the Sybil Podcast. For this week's episode, it is a collaboration with some incredible voices in the podcasting world. So special shout out to Dr. Kelechi Ibe Lambert of my Black is Translational podcast, Miss Nancy Munlewa Sisi, my Zambian princess, whose podcast is called Concrete Pastures. And last but definitely not the least, uh, Mitrak our powerful force, Miss Kemi Seriki. If you're familiar with the podcast, her name should be familiar. Her podcast is called Panza Panza Forum Podcast. Together, we put up a panel that delved into the world of immigrant fatherhood. We focused on the experiences of fathers from traditional African backgrounds. And our panelists included Mr. Babatude Fapohunda, Mr. Stephen Batty of the Sambasa podcast, and Mr. Kenny Pokwola, who's one of our beloved patrons. And last but not the least, um, Dr. Taiwa Dedikbe, a.k.a. our very own T-Dog, and Mr. Sami Desu. In this episode, they all shared their experiences and insights and stories about the joys of fatherhood, the challenges, and the cultural intricacies. They also talked about their cherished childhood memories to adapting roles in new countries. And this episode also um, offers a journey of empathy and understanding for everyone, regardless of their connection to fatherhood. And T-Dog shared his experience with adoption as well. So get ready to be inspired and enlightened as we explore the unique journey of immigrant fathers. I'd like to give a special thank you to my co-hosts for making this panel possible. In any event, enjoy the show and don't forget to check out their platforms as well. Thank you. Now enjoy the show. Again. <laughs> All right. Good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to the African Dad um, mini-series. Dad stands for Discussions Among Diasporans. Um, this is an event that is focused on fatherhood, um, Black um, manhood across, uh, for African immigrant men, I'm all across the diaspora. My name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lamberts. Um, I am the host of the My Black is Transnational podcast. And um, I'd like to thank my fellow collaborators, um, the Ponsa Ponsa podcast, also uh, Concrete Pastures podcast, and the More Sybil podcast uh, for coming and putting this important uh, conversation, much needed conversation for me, being in public health, also acknowledging the fact that this is Men's Health Month. So being able to have this conversation, uh, talking about fatherhood, talking about health, talking about the immigrant experience is crucial, much needed, and hopefully can be continued in our respective communities. Uh, so with that being said, I'd like to introduce our facilitator for this conversation, Mrs. Kemi Siriki, who I affectionately call my Auntie Kemi. Uh, she is the host of the Ponsa Ponsa podcast, but also the author behind the Ponsa Ponsa forum which is a website that i encourage you all to check out um and we will also be sharing mo i know i messed up and i didn't send this thing to you but shall forgive me but like <laughs> i will, will also be sharing our information for our respective platforms so that you all can be able to check it out for future references but auntie kemi the floor is yours uh, thank you so much for facilitating morning everyone and um, thank you everyone good morning for joining uh, this important forum discussion my name again is Kevin Seriki I'm the host of Pansa Pansa forum and uh, in part on the podcast we actually discuss the discuss experiences and the challenges African immigrant 
community and intergenerational issue within the family. So this actually conversation falls into uh, the purpose of Pansa Pansa Forum. And I'm so happy since I've met Akelechi, the first one in this group. He's becoming, he has been like a family. So is uh, uh, Nancy Mulewa Sisi, as well as my dear Mosibu, as well. <laughs> you know, so we've been working with this together. And thank you so much for all the effort and everything you put in. So I would like to welcome everyone to this community conversation on fatherhood within African immigrant community. Since our last uh, uh, com community conversation, which was held last year, about African immigrant experiences and intergenerational relationship, I've always wanted to hold a community conversation on the role of fatherhood within our community, because most of the time we talk about mothers, but we don't really talk about the fathers. Even though there are diversity of many family composition in, in the diaspora, Within our community, there are single fathers, home in which, you know, fathers are the only one raising the children. And then there's also single mother like me, you know, which I raised two of my children by myself <laughs> with the whole community of the village that I build up for myself. All these situations also occur for a variety of reasons why we have single parents, we have you know, uh, both parents in the household or whatever we want to talk about. So how, then the question is, how has migration impacted the role of fatherhood in our community in the diaspora, whether you are in America or Canada or in Europe? So as an African father within, living in the diaspora, how has migration forced the changes or modified the role of fathers in division of household responsibilities, okay, and also involvement in children's lives, such as the area in child, in terms of child care, you know, and so many other things, educational responsibility. So to say that, I just want to say tomorrow is Father's Day, and we're all going to celebrate Father's Day. And what a great day to have this conversation a day before Father's Day in advance. So, and I'm also going to quote uh, President Obama that says about fatherhood. He's, uh, uh, President Obama said, every man is trying to live up to his father's expectation and to make up for their father's mistake. So we are not all perfect as a parents. Our parents were not perfect as a parents. And our children, when they become parents, they won't be perfect either. <laughs> you know, so that's how we have to see. So with that being said today, I believe we have about five, maybe six now panelists, you know, who are going to contribute because I saw Mr. Sami Disu also that I contacted yesterday and is willing to also join us. He's a young father, you know, living in New York City. So I would like to um, ask each one of our volunteers to introduce themselves Talk a little bit about your background to our audience as to where you presently reside and uh, the reason for accepting this invitation for this forum. So who is going to go first? I'll call uh, Mr. Fapunda as the elder. Thank you very much. Um... Where do I start? I mean, okay. I my name is Babatunde Fakunda, as you can see on the screen. 
I I don't know if I I can say I'm the oldest here. You can tell I'm the only one with uh, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, I came to the United States almost 43 years ago to go to graduate school. And my background, I'm an engineer. My father was a pastor for the Anglican church. So I grew up literally, literally in the church. So, but I came here almost 43 years ago with the hope of getting a graduate degree and going back to Nigeria. But here I am, 43 years later, I'm still in the United States. I have, uh, why am I here? And well, my wife gave me an ultimatum that I have to do it. <laughs> and uh, after 39 years of marriage, you know, you, you got to, you know, you got to listen and you got to compromise and you got to do things to support your wife. And that's one thing I want to emphasize for the men here. You have to find a way to support your wife in whatever they do. This is my wife has been participating in this program. And I think I joined one of the maybe last year. I think I joined briefly. So since I got the invitation, I marked my calendar. I usually play soccer on Saturdays. Uh, but I said this Saturday, and fortunately, the season is over, so I have no excuse. Well, I have uh, I have a son and a daughter. My son is going to be 39 years old in September, and my daughter I'm gonna I'm not gonna tell you how old she is, but uh, she's younger. Okay, so. And we have, we have moved a little bit in the last, uh, since they were born 39 years ago. We lived in the UK for some time. They, they are British, you know, and also Americans. So you can tell the, the kind of, uh, you know, environments we lived in, you know, in the UK, in the United States. They haven't lived in Nigeria, but I have. And my wife has also lived in Nigeria. So you can imagine the cultural challenges that we have to go through in raising these two, you know, in raising my children. Yeah, I still call them children. Um, in, in two different cultures. Thank you so, so much. So <laughs> um, I'm going to stop and because when I get going, I, I can't stop. You know, I got, <laughs> I got a lot to say. You know, but uh, let me stop right there and then give the next guy the opportunity to introduce himself. Thank you Thank so you. much for that. That's such a gracious uh, invitation. I mean, uh, introduction. So, um, Mr. Steven. You want to go? Who wants to go next? You want, you want me to go as Zambaza? Yeah, Zambaza. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, guys, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my name is Sambaza, Sambaza podcast, and I got the invitation from Nancy Molemwa, and, um, she asked me to join in and I was like, oh, well, 
Uh, let me join in and uh, see what uh, we got going on. I see the panel here. Um, looks like we're going to have a good conversation. Now, I'm from Kenya, which is in East Africa. I've been living in the United States, as I said before. For those who missed, uh, I, I'll be like 21 years uh, being in America on June 21st. That's next week. And um, married for 15 years, have two kids, 13-year-old and 11-year-old. 13-year-old is a boy, 11-year-old is a girl. Who are, is, they're currently swimming right now. I couldn't attend, so um, that's why I'm here. But... Um, I'm stoked to be here. My I immigrated here from what you you've gathered, and my kids are actually. Uh, let me put it this way: as my wife says, they're truly African American because I'm African, my wife is American, so we have kids who are like say African American. So that's the the nucleus of our family, and um, that's the basis of where we can start our conversation at. And um. I'm happy to be around uh, knowledgeable people today and uh, happy Father's Day to the fathers and mothers out there. Thank yeah. you so much. So who wants to go next? Um, Mr. Taiwo or Mr. Sobua, you want to go? I can go. Okay. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Taiwo Adeyikbe and um <laughs> Yeah, just like uh, the first speaker, uh, I'm here to support my wife too. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, I've been married 11, uh, 12, sorry, hold on, 12 years. <laughs> um, married 12 years, we have a four-year-old daughter. Um, and being in the U.S. about 12 years to uh, immigrated uh, here yeah, in 2011 as well. Um uh, we currently live in Oklahoma. Um, what else am I missing out? And I'm really glad to be here um, to learn a little bit about you know people's experiences and to share my um, unique experiences as a father as well. Um, so thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, who, who else do we have? Uh, I can go next. Yes. Yeah. So hello everyone. Hope everyone is having a good weekend. Um, my name is Kenny Pokwala. Um, I'm a dad of two, an eight-year-old girl and a three and a half-year-old son. I live across the pond in the UK um, with my wife. I've been living in the UK now for like 12 years, um, originally from Nigeria. Um, I've been on the Mosible podcast a couple of times to share about my um, father journey because it's quite a unique journey as well and I'm glad to be here to share my experiences as well. Okay thank you so much for that. Um, Mr. Sami Disu you want to go? Yes uh, greetings everybody. Um, this is Sami Disu speaking to you actually from Accra, Ghana. I hope the internet connection is stable. Sometimes it's an issue. I typically live in New York City, um, have been living in New York City for about 17, 18 years, uh, which means most, uh, which means I've lived in New York uh, more than anywhere else, uh, including Ghana, which is where I'm originally from. 
uh, back in the U.S., I I work. I've I've had several work experiences. Um, I have a communications background. I also teach at City University of New York in the Africana department. I also have an activist uh, background, pretty active in the New York State area. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you all. Oh, I also have a five-year-old daughter called Zuri Yadisu. Um, and um, yes, I'll be drawing from some of my experiences uh, being a dad in, in the United States and sharing with you. Thank you. So why did you accept the invitation today? Well, um, last minute, uh, yesterday, Ms. Sariki invited me to be a part of this discussion. And how can I say no to Ms. Sariki, who's, who's uh, very active in our communities here in New York and, and here for anybody and everybody as and when uh, we need her. So really, it's, it's responding to the call. Uh, but uh, being, being with Africans and the Black immigrant community and engaged in these affairs, this is, this is my cup of tea to begin with. Thank you. Thank you so much. So as the saying goes, our root is what, what makes us to be who we are today. For each one of the men on this panel, what was your childhood memorable, uh, favorable memory? Please briefly tell our audience, what was it that you missed mostly from your home country? Uh, Well, going by, since I'm next to you, I I I think I, I, I enjoyed the beach. Um, we live by the beach and uh, that's what I miss the most. And when I go back, I always want to travel right back to where I was, um, I, I grew up um, and spend some time watching, you know, just just hanging around near the sea. It's uh, very relaxing, quiet. And um, I think those are one of the best childhood memories I've ever had. And uh, yeah, till to date. So what about you, Mr. Kenny? Anybody else wants to share? Yes. Um, I mean, growing up in Lagos, um, I miss that communal living. We used to live in like blocks of flats and um, growing up, coming back from school, everybody would rush off to do their homework and then gather downstairs. And then juxtaposing that with like living um, in the UK, uh, it's quite different. So it feels a bit isolated. So everybody's just in their houses and the only time kids get to interact is either during school period or like if there's an outing. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely miss that. Uh, with my kids, I try to give them the opportunity to get out a bit more as opposed to just staying indoors, which is quite popular around here. Yeah, thank you. So Mr. Fapunda or anybody else have? Yeah, uh, I can take that. Um It, it's a little difficult for me to say what I miss most. And I'll tell you why. Because I've been out of the country for too long. Yeah, so if you had asked me the question maybe 40 years ago, my mm-hmm. answer would probably be different from what I'll give you now. Yeah. So, but the 
the thing that I miss most is family. You know, um, I have four siblings and I had 27, 27 nephews and nieces. And right now, maybe up to 50 grandnephews and nieces. And because I don't have the opportunity anymore to at least spend some time with some of them and get to know them. And because I told you my father was a pastor and I, we lived in a vicarage, which used to be, for those of you who are Anglican, the, the vicarage was everybody's own. You know, people come and family will come and stay without notice. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, and for every family member that came, you could see the uniqueness and they tell you stories. The stories that you can hear from either your mother or your father because they're too busy. The uncles will tell you. Your aunts will tell you. And some of them, some cousins, they claim they are cousins. You can't even, you, you don't even know the relationship. You don't have to know because your parents tell you that's your cousin, that's your uncle, you know. So, the wisdom that they transfer, knowingly or unknowingly, it does not, wouldn't, didn't resonate with you until maybe years later. And so that is, to me, is what I miss most about, about growing up in Nigeria. And that, that is so powerful what you just said, because I could relate to the same thing. Been in America now for a little bit over 40 years too. And, you know, you've been away from that society for so long. You don't really know what you missed. But then in terms of, you know, you know, there's a strong family background, strong connection with the neighbors, with everybody around you. You will take up for you for whatever it is, you know, no child left behind. It takes a village to raise a child. That's where that saying comes into play. So thank you so much for that. So, Mr. Uh, Taiwo or Mr. Disu, you have anything to contribute to that? I'll go. Um, so, I missed two things. You know, growing up with my uh, father and uh, my twin brother, taking trips to our farm in Ota, then, you know, uh, and harvesting crops, you know, roasting things on the farm, you know, stopping by to have some palm wine. On the way home, you know, I missed that. <laughs> I missed that experience. Um, and then the other thing I miss is, you know, that sense of community. Um, we try to create that here, you know, with the Nigerian community we have. You know, I know usually around Christmas and things like that, when we have events, we have, you know, my siblings and my parents, everybody comes home and just have a good time together and over dinner and all that, you know, dancing and just having a good time together. I miss that. You know, it's hard to um, replicate that here. But we try, you know, among the Nigerian community here in Oklahoma City. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Mr. Disu, you have anything? Uh, Yes. So my family moved 
uh, traveled a, a lot uh, when I was younger. So maybe from 10 to 20 years of age is when I could draw some, uh, some, some of these uh, good times that I can actually remember. And that was in Kuwait, which is in the Middle East. My dad was working there as a journalist. And uh, when I was 10 years old, I, w- I and my siblings were able to join my dad along with my mom in Kuwait. Uh, and we had some great times, just the nucleus of that family. Um, my, my parents would later divorce. Uh, it was even uh, not a very pleasant one uh, by my recollection. But I remember, yes, the earliest times that we were in Kuwait, uh, when things were good between them and when we were all together, uh, just wonderful times, um, everyone in good health. Uh, that that's what I can draw on for great memories. Thank you so much for that. So I want to ask you, going into much more uh, deep into conversation, what was your view or concept of fatherhood when you were growing up in your respectful, respective countries? What was your view of fatherhood? Who wants to go first? Well, I'll, I'll take that. Okay. Um, To, I mean, my my father and mother got married in 1942, and my father died a few a few a few months before I came to the United States. So, and I came in 1980. So, my mother was widowed. in 1980 and my mother died um, in January 2021 at the age of 116 days so she was widowed for 40 years at least and like I said my dad was a pastor and so I, I watched him the role he played he was the head of the family. And he lived his life as the head of the family. Being the head of the family doesn't mean you have to be rich. Doesn't mean you have to be able to provide everything. But you have that, that uh, I mean, the Yoruba adage says, mm-hmm. What it means is, the head has to remain the head. You can't you can't walk on your head. Okay. If you start walking on your head, I'm trying to be, you know, try to translate. So the role of the father, as far as I'm concerned, is the head of the family. And what does that mean? You have to provide for the family. You have to support the family. You have to laugh with the family. You have to weep with the family because you don't have a full day if you don't cry. Something emotional has to hit you on a daily basis and you cry. And then if you find something that makes you happy, you laugh. When you do that, your day is complete. Don't don't lie to yourself. 
okay? Every day is not going to be, you know, a basket of cherries. There are days that are good, some are bad. But as a father, as the head of the family, you have to be ready for that. You have to be able to deal with that. Because, and I'm telling you now from experience, if you have a male child or a male or a female child, they're watching. They're watching how you react, how you behave when the chips are down, and they look up to you. So if you if you fold and forget about your role as the head of the family, you are failing your family as, as, as a father. Thank you as so much for that. Thank you. So who wants to go next? Mr. Kenny or Mr. Yes, I'll go. I'll go next. Um, well, um, if I look at it on my perspective, in our community, um, the dad was the head of the family. And I think my dad and mom, uh, God rest their souls, they uh, stayed married for a long time. And uh, they had this thing where it was peculiar. They never kept secrets from each other. So whatever we, t- I might go to say a secret to my mom and think that it'll not get to my dad. Somehow it'll get to my dad and my dad would tell me. So I realized at one point, like, look, uh, you're not hiding anything from each other. Whoever you're going to talk to is going to tell the other person the, you know, the, the whole story. So might as well just pick and choose whichever time is convenient and explain to it. Now, does that happen right now in my family, in my current family? Yes. Now, these are some of the values that you pick on and, um, uh, the other things I can say is, which is weird in, see, in the in the African setting where the man, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to put this out there. The man does not get into the kitchen and cook. For me, fortunately, I'll speak for myself. I have gotten into the kitchen maybe about five, ten times to cook. I think even more, than, between five and ten times in our 15 years of marriage because of the way my wife is contrary to what people would think about African-American women. My wife cooks and she accords me the, the opportunity to do other things. Not that I don't have my role, but there's a role that I play as a man and I have to fulfill that. But she takes care of the kitchen part and I do the grilling. She cannot grill. So grilling is my part. And that's where we, we kind of have those um, those roles and these roles were passed on from my father and to me and this is what I watched my father and this is what she watched her mom um, go through those type of roles so I think somehow I always say I'm the unicorn because we mesh in terms of our family family setting and it's worked out fine for us, contrary to some other people who would have a different perspective when it comes to cooking, especially in America where roles are shared. Now, when it comes to other things like taking care of the baby, you know, like carrying the baby, you know, walking around with the baby, moving around with the baby. Those are things that I had to I had to learn. I remember the first time my mom seeing me change a diaper. She she actually was amazed that I could change the diaper. And I looked at her and I said, well, you have to do these things because this is what what is uh, expected of you. 
So those are some slight roles that have changed. Even though my dad had those traditional roles where, you know, he he only carried the child when the child was cleaned up, you know, ready when they needed to do, go do their thing. She passed it on to a maid, which we don't have here. Um, so bottom line is uh, roles do change when you leave Africa, the African setting, you come to America. Um, and again, I say I got the unicorn where I got to pass, you know, some I, I got to skip some of those those roles a little bit on the cooking part. Even though I'm a good cook, I must say, I'm going to tell you that I can cook. Thank you so much for that. It lost you covered as well as would also cover so many grounds on that. So, Mr. Kenny, do you have anything? Yeah, I mean, I'll just uh, piggyback on what uh, Mr. Fakwanda and um, Sambasa said. It's all about mirroring. I was fortunate enough to meet both my paternal grandparents, um, so my granddad from both sides. And it was just a case of they luckily set good examples. I saw the way they treated my um, grandmothers. I saw the way they treated my parents. And it was only natural because what I realized is kids will do what they see, not exactly what you tell them. So it's just about that conscious effort. Make sure you're sending the right messages. Even though we encourage you to say things to them, they will still mirror what you do, all the acts you do. So it was things like their work, work ethics, um, how they always go out each day, make a living for the family, come back home, support their spouses, Things like that, things that I picked up from an early age to say, okay, once you get married, you have to put your hands to the to the wheel and and get stuff done. Um, support your wife as well, be hands-on with the kids as well, and just make it easier. So for me, it's just about mirroring, looking out at those examples and picking up the right things from uh, from those who have come before us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Adedikwe. Yes, um, roles of a father, I guess, growing up, uh, I saw my dad also as a provider. Uh, he did his best um, while he was here to uh, be the provider. You know, I remember times when we'll go meet him and, you know, he taught me, I guess one big thing I learned from him was um learning to live within your means and to budget, you know, just tr- not trying to get overboard on things, you know. So that was a really big one I learned. Uh, I didn't learn this one specifically from my dad, but my son and my twin were the last born, so we were the ones mostly at home with my dad and mom when everyone else was gone. And I quickly learned that we had to help with cleaning the house and, uh, you know, cooking sometimes, doing the dishes. So those didn't come unnatural. You know, when I got married, you know, that's, uh, it was easy to support my wife, you know, in keeping the house, you know, so, yeah. So in terms of uh, the roles of a father, I think, you know, number one is provider and um, also supporting your, your your child and your wife. So, yeah. Mr. Disu. Yes, uh, I just echoing a number of the speakers on this question before me. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I was raised uh, in a Muslim household uh, where we have some very set traditional roles for 
the father and the mother, uh, certainly head of the head of the father. We are also African. And so society wise, that nothing really surprising about that. Uh, but our family did travel around a lot. Even my dad, before he met my mom, uh, very young, traveling and learned to to be independent, cooking his own meals. So that's the way he raised us. That's the way that both my parents raised us. Um, whether we were boys or girls, and there were four of us at one point, uh, we all learned to do all of the household chores, uh, cooking, um, no defined uh, traditional roles for, for girls, in other words, in that household. Now, since becoming a dad uh, in the United States, and I, I think... I have embraced just looking at how I've been moving about uh, family business. I've, I've embraced the more traditional roles of, of a dad being a provider of, of the household and being the first to weather any external threats, if you will, just uh, being the first to 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 sacrifice for the family where necessary. It's just, I've sort of just fallen into that role. I kind of feel it, it, it works best that way for, for, for me and my family. Um, that's what I'll, I'll say about that. Thank you so much. So since a, lo- a lot you've all covered uh, uh, during this uh, uh, role of um, question. And who is much more a disciplinarian in your family, your dad or your mom? Just one, one answer. Dad, mom, who, is mo- who are you more afraid of? Or you think you could go to when you're going through something? Who would you approach, your mom or your dad? I'll go with my mom. My dad was unapproachable. <laughs> wow, Okay. <laughs> Mr. Hakuda. It was my mother. Your mother. You rather talk to her? Yes. Yes. What about you, Mr. Kenny? Yeah, it would have been mom as well. Okay. Mr. Disu, who would you go? My mom was the more approachable by far. Okay. And Mr. Taiwo, Adedikwe? Yep, my mom <laughs> was more approachable. Dad was a strict disciplinarian. Okay, so we we all recognize that I I believe most of us rather you know approach our mom instead of the father. So and I hope you know the, that role changed since we came to this country. So um, and I you know, understand from your family background, the structure and your upbringing. What would you have preferred to change from your family background? What would you have preferred to change? Because I know there's so many people. I grew up in a polygamous family and living with other relatives. You know, how does, you know, and a lot of time it does have an impact in someone's life growing up. Just briefly, just tell me what in one or two sentences. I, I, w- I wouldn't say, you know, change because I, I can't think of anything that I would change or I would trade from my childhood, you know? And, and again, maybe because every, every child is the product of his, his or her environment. Mm-hmm. My, my father was a pastor. So my experience 
or experience is growing up is going to be a lot different from actually a lot different from my wife's experience growing up. You know, my father was a pastor. We moved from village to towns to village to towns. And my wife is different. You know, she's, I married up. Let's put it that way. Okay. So my experiences are different from mine. And, and, and so would I have modified something a little bit? I wish I could have, you know, if, if it was possible for my father not to be transferred every three years to go, I, but I couldn't change that. So there was, it, it was the nature of the beast. That's the, that's the work he signed up for. So if there's anything I could have changed made between when I was born and and the age 11 when I went to a boarding school, that is probably what I, I would have loved to change. Thank you. So. Thank you. Anybody else wants to? Um, it's, it's a bit of a tough one, isn't it? Because I, I think it's all down to environment and the information you're exposed to. So our parents and grandparents acted based on the knowledge and the environment they were in. Um, so, I mean, we were about to cut them some slack. But in my case, I, I guess really just working based on like how I'm raising my kids now is I wish my dad would have been a bit more hands-on in like um, raising us in terms of like the school activities that was usually left to mom to just do. Because I look at myself, like when I take my son to nursery, it gives you a chance to have a chat with the teacher, find out how things are going on with him at school, and then can pick up those things at home as well. But like I said, it's down to the environment and the knowledge at the time. So um, Thank you. that'll be it for me. Thank you. Mr. Sambo, Basel? yes. Um, I think it's the same thing everyone has said, uh, Mr. Babatunde and Mr. Kenny, with regard to what you can change. Um like I like the part where you said hands-on we are more hands-on than our parents were especially my dad even though still like you guys said we we may have changed but it's still the same thing my my son would talk to my my wife before he comes to talk to me so with my daughter on some things and if they do something wrong all my wife needs to say is let me talk to your dad and we'll see what happens and they'll quickly uh, do what they're supposed to do um yeah and being hands on is is actually something that yeah I would have liked to cuz I participate in their sports um and I coach them uh when they go to swim I'm with them you know so I'm always around them to the point where sometimes I'm like gosh I wish my parents just could have come to watch at least one soccer game or just one rugby game or just just be there for a sport and say, hey, you know what, I, I, I'm here for you. But considering that I was in a boarding school and they were far away, uh, uh, there you go. I have to cut them some slack. Uh, but yeah, that was maybe one of the only things that I may have felt that um, could have been changed. But yeah. it, it, it was what it was. And uh, well, maybe that's the reason why I'm more hands on on this, uh, this other side with okay. my kids. Yeah. Mr. Disu, um so I wouldn't really change anything. Um, 
what I'll say, maybe I wish my dad, you know, had more conversations with us uh, instead of going straight to <laughs> corporal punishment, you know, growing up. Uh, the corporal punishment did help. And mostly it was, you know, when I didn't do too great, you know, in school, uh, he was like, oh, your friends that, you know, were first place. You know, do they have two heads? You know, and then, you know, would get spanked and then that would make you sit up the next academic year. You know, you try being the best. It helped, but it was more out of fear. But I wish he had, you know, had some words of affirmation, you know, and, you know, done more of com- conversation instead of, you know, going straight to um, discipline. You know, but it did help. You know, at least it's achieved the same goal, but I wish it was the other way around. Well, thank you so much. Mr. Diso, you have any briefly? (laughs) Yes. uh, I think if I had the power to change the attitudes of my parents uh, while growing up, I would have wished that my father was, was more accepting of the need to give my mom more decision-making power in the household, especially as and when she was contributing more to the family finances. Um, My dad, um, that was one area I think um, that lack of movement on my dad's part, I think really affected the long-term ability of the family to just uh, be together uh, over the longer, longer run. So and I've learned from that personally in my own relationship with my wife. I've, I don't want to make that sort of mistake, especially being that we are outside living in parts of the world where ma- male's traditional role is not what it is back at home in Ghana. So that's one thing I would have changed. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So can, I, I want- can I interject something here? Yeah. I think for, for all what we've been going through, and uh, somebody told me this a couple of uh, weeks ago, he said, the reason why our fathers were the way they were is when you came up with the, with the issue, we think more solution-based, not to hear, you know, to understand and then say, you know, have compassion. It's like, okay, I'm having this issue at school. First thing a dad would think of is what can we do to resolve this, right? So you're thinking about, okay, one, two, three, four, boom, 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 finish, right? But if it's going to a mother, your mother will be like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, blah, blah, blah. These things will happen like this. So you, you want to be you want to go through that instead of being told, hey, this is what I would like you to do. Or you're told this is because you did not do this because, this, you know, you, it's like you are you're on the receiving end yeah. to make sure that you, you, you needed to know what to do. Solve the problem, yeah. not understand the problem so that next time, you know, you can figure it out differently. You yes, know, that's true. Yeah. That's true. So I want to jump into migration now. Before you migrated uh, or immediately after you migrated to the United States, what was your view of your impression of what fatherhood may look like in the United States or in Europe? You understand? Uh, oh, well, go I first. I do, but... Um... When I when I came to the United States, I did not have marriage in mind. So the issue of fatherhood was not was not even on my mind, mm. you know, because I came for graduate studies, and so 
but I knew that one day I'll be a, a, a father, you know. Um, but as as time went on, and then I got married, then I started thinking about, you know, what kind of father am I going to be? What kind of family am I going to build? Where and how? So. So to answer your question, initially it didn't. I mean, it wasn't really on my mind. It was I was um, I was in engineering school. And by the way, the guy someone said he lives in Oklahoma, right? Did I hear that right? Yeah, where in Oklahoma? I went to Oklahoma State. I yes, hope we didn't in, go to OU, Edmund. okay? Because I hold <laughs> it against you. <laughs> okay. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, Mr. Kenny, you have anything to say regarding uh, your view of parenting in Western world? Yeah, I mean, um, I didn't have much of an expectation because in Nigeria, a lot of our cultural influences came from America because a lot of the foreign TV was more American-based. So coming to the UK was quite different. It was a culture shock um, from things like when you're expecting a baby, how they include the fathers and everything from antenatal class to making decision on the betting process and everything. So it was all new to me in a nice way because from the beginning, they, they channel you to be hands-on on, on, on everything and they encourage you to be there during the birth and everything. So um, yeah, I would say for me, I didn't have much of an expectation, but when I came here and I went through the process, it was quite a nice process, if I, mm-hmm. I say so. Wow, wow. What about you, Mr. Jisoo? And, uh... I'm not sure I have anything really to add uh, okay. more on that. I also came in as a college student, uh, international student visa to the United States. And so I was a little too young to be thinking of, of fatherhood. But if I can give you a clue, I did have some, uh, I would think, relatively traditional notions of what my uh, romantic life would be like. I, I expected to marry the first person I was intimately involved with. That's, oh, wow. that's how I came to the United States. <laughs> that's great. So, Mr. Dedikwe, you have anything to say to that? Unmute yourself. Okay, yeah, coming to the United States, you know, that, the, that year was when we got married. I had not really thought that far into, you know, what fatherhood would look like, you know, but I don't think being in the United States, you know, my view of fatherhood has really changed compared to what I knew or experienced, you know, with my dad growing up. Uh, my parents were always hands-on involved in everything we did, you know, especially my dad too. So yeah, nothing really changed. Yeah. So do you also play a role change? Because I I know many of you mentioned it during uh, the conversation regarding, you know, doing the household chores and many things that you are not really familiar with back in you know, your respective countries whereby you have to do the chores as a, as a husband, a father, some of the role that wasn't, you were not really familiar with. Mr. Kenny, would you like to talk more about that? I know you have a special child with special need. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, that and also the fact that um, here in the UK, childcare is expensive. So if you were to hire the services of a nanny, that's one of your wages. So it's either you or your spouse wages will definitely go into like um, employing the services of a nanny or, um, or additional childcare. So really to make things easier for both of you, you'll just have to, to pick up the slack. So yeah, it's been a case of just being hands-on with everything. Um, so like I said, it was quite interesting going through like antenatal process and everything. So got um, really clued on, on how all those things work, like changing, bathing and everything, because yeah, you have to do it together. Um, even when we had our mother-in-laws coming, they could only stay for a limited period of time. So ultimately you need to pick up this, the, the slack. And also in our case where um, our first daughter, our first child, our daughter has um, additional needs, it also means like um, with hospital appointments and everything, uh, you have to get involved um, so we can be good to the appointments at the same time. So we have to share the knowledge, you have to um, work with different medical practitioners. So um, I say working together just makes it easier for the two of you, make sure one person doesn't burn out and just that emotional support between the two of you. So yeah, um, it's just a case of when you, you get the situations in your in your family life, you just have to um, adapt and, and pick up the pace. So in Europe, do they offer so, uh, services such as respite care? Yes, we start getting all of that now. So respite care, we get respite care, we get a few hours a week where somebody comes to help out with, uh, with our daughter as well. So yeah, that's also handy to have. And would you like to share a little bit of the challenges as a parent that you face? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, my daughter was born with a genetic condition, um, which has meant she has um, global developmental delay. Uh, so she's eight years old, but doesn't typically do things that eight year old would do. So um, she's dependent on us because she's tube fed and has limited mobility. So yeah, we have to pick up all those things like making sure she has a feed regularly. Um, when she's going out um, on a wheelchair, she gets the assistance as well. Um, like you said, um, here in the UK, we've got um, uh, respite care. So um based on our needs there's a panel that meets and then give, gives us a um, specific um, number of hours to use for things like physio or hospital appointments and, and things like that so yeah that's how it typically works here uh, we are fortunate to be in this country um where the healthcare is free we get it within the nhs um if we were across the pond it would have set us back a lot financially but yeah, um, we just take it each day at a time. Yeah, I love the healthcare in Europe anyway, in in London, in England, compared to what we have in America. Because even though it's kind of free, but then you have to battle with the insurance company yeah, all the time. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really feel for you and you're doing a great job because I've heard so much positive things from uh, um, uh, Mo when she referred, you know, you know, mentioned you that you're going to be part of this. So for everybody, what would you say in general are the, uh, the systematic barrier or difficulties 
African immigrant experience in their new country, uh, such as adjusting to social or cultural changes. I know there's so many of our members of our community that they have language barrier or on transferable professional skill or educational experience, or lack, we also talk about lack of uh, extended family as a support system for her. So declining your even self-image, people may look at you and say, you know, because you are from Africa, the image that they have for that society, <laughs> that continent, it is so negative and now that reflect on us. So what would you say are some of the general systematic barriers that you experience? I think, uh, if I may go up, um, there's something which we have really uh, missed out. Some, some, Sami Disu just said something and it echoed to me. Remember, he said, when you come here, the first thing you you get married to the first person you're romantically uh, connected with, right? And that's not so. Same thing we have in the same in East Africa. Now, that already starts shaping you as a man. And how you're going to live in this country. Because at that point, you realize what is called dating. You know, we are from the culture where, yes, I see it like a dove. You see that woman, you like her, we go with it. Whatever goes whatever goes down the lane, I don't know, but we're going with her. So that is one of the first few things that changes you as a man from Africa to be able to navigate in a society where you start by looking yourself as, okay, I can, I can go out with several women. Um, your mind starts changing as to what kind of a man you are. And I think that's one angle we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't forget to touch on. Uh, it's very, very important because it's what will entail to say, are you going to get married? Somebody put no support on the on the chat and said, hey, um, when am I going to get married? Yes, you have options now. Does that make you get ready for marriage or does that confuse you? As an African, that could be also one way of looking at it as a barrier to why some of the African men are not quite willing to settle down because you have all these options available to you. Unlike back at home where... I see that one and I'm I'm good with it, you know. So thank you. I'd say that's one of a barrier. Uh, thank you, Disu, for, for bringing that up. Thank you. Thank you so much. So anybody wants to say in general the systematic barrier that, you know, we tend to face in this country as African men? I wouldn't say barrier. I would say challenges in, okay. in my case. And... Like I said, you know, we are different. And we came here under different circumstances. Some came as immigrants. Some came as non-immigrants. Some came as refugees. And so depending on how you came, the challenges will be different. There are some commonalities in the challenges, okay? Because the culture is different. I mean, I, I don't, if you're from Africa, anywhere in Africa, at least West Africa, you come to the United States or you go to the UK, the UK is a little different because most of us, uh, the countries are colonies. So we are quite familiar with the British, you know, system. That makes a little difference. I mean, for instance, boarding school I went to, majority of my teachers 
were British. We had maybe one or two Americans, you know, British, Indians, Nigerians, and so on. So if you come here as a student, as I did, as for to graduate school, the challenge is for me, my challenge was every class I took, I was the only black face in that class. Mm. Mm. I couldn't find any black person. I, I went to Oklahoma State and I give you an example. I was auditing a class, a 300 level class as a graduate student. I wasn't taking it for credit. And as soon as I walked into the class, the professor came to me and said, are you sure you're not in the wrong class? Hmm. Thank you. Hmm. And I said, doctor, I'm not going to mention his name. I said, doctor, is this, I, I gave him the call number. Is this class so, so, so? And he said, yes. And I said, no, I'm not in the wrong class. Okay. Then, after the class, after the class was over, I said, Dr. Susuzo, can I talk to you for a second? He was shocked. And I told him, by the way, I am not taking this class for credit. I'm auditing this class because I didn't take this class in undergrad and I needed it for another class that I would take in the future. And I told him, I'm actually um, a graduate student in electrical engineering. Thank you so much for that, Dr. So that is, those, those are the kinds of challenges that you face. Now, the challenges that I face when I start working as an engineer is all is different. You know, and as you start to rise up the ladder and people see you, the challenges also multiply. Yes. Especially from fellow black people. Okay. It could come from anybody. So that's, that's what I'm trying to say. It depends on how you came here, when you came here, why you came here. And as you stay here and for a longer period of time, and the challenges we face when we start having children is also different. <laughs> okay. Yes. So it, it depends on which area of, of yes. you know, of your life in the United States you want to look at. Thank and you so, so it, much. It's very interesting because I, I, I assume some of you guys will be able to relate to what I'm saying, depending yes. on where you fit in. You know, did you mm-hmm. come here as an immigrant? Did you come as a student? Did you come as uh, some people came here because they studied in the UK or in Nigeria and they got a job. So they're coming here as a professional. But then you come here and you say, well, I was a professor in Nigeria. A little it's a little different here. You know what I'm saying? So so it depends on, you know, your situation. Yeah, it's part of what I took too long. Thank you. 
it's part of what I explained before. So, you know, because we have to look at, you know, some of all these uh, different situations that systematic barriers and challenges that many African immigrants face. Many immigrants also face the same. Because like I always say, you are not just, as an immigrant, you are not just facing uh, uh, systematic discrimination, you know, uh, uh, barrier. You also face discrimination from other minority group as well. So we have to be open, talk openly about that. The challenges that we face from other people of color as well, because as an African, we're seen as being different you know so as a black person you you know from africa you also have to face other black people who look down on you who does not think you fit in into their group or you are not black enough you know so it's a lot of all those things that we tend to go through so um i just want if anybody has any other things to contribute to that before i go into i know the time is going so fast and i want to go into deeper conversation into household you know fatherhood within your household you know anybody has anything different to contribute to that regarding the uh, systematic barrier or difficulties or challenges i think i'll just put it this way uh, with what mr babatunde said you know with the family culture the way we are um, this is also Uh, the start of everything you know as i see we're going towards the family now we've come as a single people we're trying to get together you're trying to find your way in the in this society you you're trying to figure out which which way do the people you know accept you who's going to accept you who's not going to accept you how do you deal with first of all your employers your you know uh, your people around you as opposed to how you were taught you know by your by your parents or by your father remember you are a father figure who's going to have to teach your child who's going to be born or when you get a family this is how you're going to teach them of your experiences how was you experienced if you had a bad experience in the beginning i think that will kind of fall in depending on who you are it's not it's not a uh, uh, whatever blanket statement for everyone but it's like that will shape you up to be who or what you're going to tell your kids you know at some point you might say you know what i'm not staying in america you know i'll have my kids here just because i need to give them the 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 one up and then after that i'm going back home or you'll just say hey you know what i'm just packing up and going straight up because of what you experienced beginning and how you tried to maneuver yourself some make it some don't yeah. so that's what i had to contribute to that statement I know there's this question before I go into the family and we've been talking about it how many of you uh, African men have African American friends that you say you're close with or I don't have a choice but uh, my wife is so family and <laughs> so it, it so, just flows Mr. in Yeah Mr Fapo understand it does Mr Diso I know he may have some few African American friends You know, in England, I know they have Jamaicans and all these people from the island. You know, so it might be also be friends. So now let's go into the uh, fatherhood within the household. I know as a father, uh, is a, a sense of a pride, joy, responsibility, and commitment to the family, which was already said here. And I want to bring Mr. Taiwo into this conversation. I hope he's there to answer because I see that he's uh, mute. You know, I hope you know is uh, is on to answer this question. 
So I'm not sure whether, uh -huh. Mr. Taiwo, you and your wife, you adopted a sunshine in your household. <laughs> that I, I tend to see all the time. You know, she's so beautiful. You, you know, I call her a sunshine. And you and your wife couldn't, uh, you know, have your own child biologically for a reason that may not be of your fault or any other reason. So you both became a parent through adoption. Would you like to briefly talk about your family journey through this process? Just briefly, you know, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Okay, yes, we do have a lovely uh, four-year-old going on, boy. Um, but, uh, yeah, we had some challenges along the way after getting married. And, you know, I always knew my wife had that desire to be a mother, and I knew she'd be a great one at it. Um, she also told me, even before we got married, that she always wanted to adopt a child. So I held that at the back of my mind, even before we got married, and... You know, what better time to get this done than, you know, when we did it. You know, I'm glad we did. And she's brought a lot of joy to our family, um, to my wife. And she's, she's growing up quickly. And, um, yeah, it's been a good time, great experience, you know, having to be a dad and uh, I just bringing joy to our home. Uh, I know... Initially, before we finalized, you know, adopting her, there were some issues because of where we reside in Oklahoma, you know, uh, and uh, she she looks more white than than black, even though she's mixed. So I had to like struggle through that initially, you know, having to deal with the head turning and you know looking at oh, is that. Yeah, his daughter, <laughs> you know, things like that, you know, people, you know, just wondering, oh, did they take this child from somewhere or, you know, just dealing with all that. But at the point I was like, you know, after she lived with us for a while, after we fostered her, she was naturally a part of our family. So I couldn't just think of any other, you know, way than to just make it formal and permanent. You know, Thank so. you. I want to further ask you a question. Uh, knowing that within African uh, society, most of um, the issue when it comes to fertility and childbirth, someone in your profession as a medical doctor, and knowing that that society tends to push, you know, they have so much power into what, you know, how people decide their life, especially for a man, you know, telling the man, listen, you have to have a child, you have to do this, you have to do that. Did you experience any kind of form of pushback, pushback from the community or the loved one, both in Nigeria and abroad? You mean pushback on the adoption? Yeah, on in terms of the adoption or making sure that you have to have your own biological child. In terms of them actually, you know, blaming you, telling you that, listen, you know, uh, this is, uh, is not, you know, this is what they believe you have to do. Because in our, in our yeah. community, we experience that a lot. I've seen so many stories. I've seen so many marriages that break through that, through uh, uh, influence of other people within the community. Those who are not part of the family tend to come in and, you know, they break part, you know, the, the, the family. 
they they want to have a much more power a much more contribution a much more uh, uh, dictate dictate what has to take place yeah you know and especially you know me being the last born you know but you know my family respects me right maybe by virtue of my profession i don't know or uh, but um no one ever gave me any pushback you know as regards adoption of our daughter um they were all very supportive we carried them along um even before we adopted her and all that so and they even got to meet her you know she went to nigeria with us you know spent time met my dad before he passed and all that so um yeah and you know of course you know one or two siblings you know like you know hey you know hey are you going to try it have your own things like that you know but that's all they can do right nobody's going <laughs> to yeah dictate or tell me how to live my life yes yes you know I'm glad um, that, you know I- i'm so happy that you hold on to your beliefs so i just want to ask you one more question what word of wisdom would you like to share with a couple or a person who may be thinking of adoption especially among african immigrant community or even back home because it's not something that um is common within our community or even back home within the continent itself right um so personally speaking you know and i remember when we first myself and my wife first started this um we started first as uh, foster parents so we fostered her for a while and like i said earlier she you know she we 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 grew well she we loved her from from the first moment right but you know that love continued to grow so it just seems natural for us to make it formal right for her to for us to adopt her um for your question was uh what advice do we have yeah. or do I have for people on adoption yeah so before i got around to even accepting to do this <laughs> um i had to like really sit down and think through it a lot because the average mindset of the typical nigerian or maybe african man would be you know why would you adopt someone else's daughter blah 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 you know why not have your own all that stuff but again it tells <laughs> i mean she calls me dad i'm her dad you know you your your father not necessarily by like biologically birthed someone your father by you know raising the child in the way that the child should be raised based on your values and your morals and all that so i got to learn that you know through the process and it wasn't something that i just decided on and i think what also helped was you know i knew at the back of my mind my wife had always told me that she wanted she always had that desire you know and i thought what better way to you know gift her that you know by just having her become ours permanently yes. so and thank you so much for that thank you i know and that I, is something very touching and, and i had one last thing to say you know mm-hmm. i think i think it's also you know something that's you have to be really selfless about you know you have to you know get through you know that mindset of oh why would i be taking care of someone else's child you know blah 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 
you have to be selfless and you know just see it as a ministry to um helping raise a child um when the biological parents cannot have the opportunity to do that okay i wanted to jump in on this one and uh, have a question and this will go to the men um in this and Taiwo, that's that's actually regarding you in that situation and discussion um does this issue of the fact that we are away from the country, I mean, between you and Nigeria and me and Kenya, so many miles away, they have to make, you know, make that phone call to be able to call you and get you. Does that give you some type of buffer um, to be able to continue to what you're doing? Because I think if you were in that setting, in an African setting, where in the morning you wake up and the whole rest of the family is there and you're in constant, you know, community, there's that idea of, you know, kind of pressure that will get you going um, with regard to the decision that you'll make in terms of uh, adoption. I don't know if I'm putting this right. Uh, to all the men out there, do you think, um, maybe you can expound on it, if, you know, on your own thoughts, but um, being out here, it's kind of, it, it gives you some leeway or something like that. Yeah, so, I, so you if you want me, I can, I, I get what you're saying. And if you, I can take a moment to translate it really quickly. If, if yes, that, please. You don't mind. <laughs> so so what I, what I'm, I think basically what brother Sambaza is saying is that does the, does the immigration from your previous country to your current land, does it create, does the distance from your cultural experiences and exposure, does that create a little bit more freedom and autonomy to be able to do these practices that are might be considered taboo? if we were presently in the native homeland. So does the immigration experience and exposure to a new land in your resettled country, does that create some type of a buffer or, or, or a safety net that allows you to be able to do what you've discussed already? I hope I captured that right, buddy, brother. Yeah. Well, maybe it just added a little bit of a buffer. Maybe I, I'm the kind of person that if I am determined to do something, I do it. You know, I, yes, I listen to people. I, I tend to analyze the situation and stuff like that, you know, but if I'm bent on doing something and I decide to do something, I get it done. Um, but yeah, maybe not being physically in Nigeria um, and being, you know, thousands of miles away, you know, you know, might have helped. Um, but I really don't see how it would have really changed you know, what I would have done still, you know, you can adopt in Nigeria as well. You know, they have lots of motherless babies, um, homes and stuff like that. That's what they call them there. Um, so I don't think we do have changed anything, to be honest. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. We're almost, you know, because I have plenty of questions, but, you know, I just want to uh, ask you the last question in terms of your as a father in this country, you know, um, in the Western world, whether you are in Europe or you are in America, you know, and I know many of us grew up in a home where we were raised with values such as honesty, integrity, religious and cultural value, respect for the elders and others, and educational, you know, education is one of the most important, especially, you know, coming from Africa and, you know, coming to this country, everybody push for their children to go to school to do everything that they need to do. And uh, in, in many African immigrant homes, 
parents tend to say what they want their children to do. But then sometimes we model a behavior that is completely different from what we are saying to our children. And a lot of times they tend to watch what we are doing. Are we actually conscious of all those? If anybody wants to answer that. Because, you know, being a parent, we also have to model certain behavior. If um, I'm looking for integrity, I'm looking for values, I'm looking for respect. Because one thing I see with American children, not like, you know, we that we grew up back home, there's certain way that we have to adjust ourselves, such as learning to listen, learning to understand that we cannot um, have our opinion made all the time. In terms of understanding what their struggle is all about. I remember I've said this many times. My children actually taught me how to listen. Because, you know, in terms of they they have something to say. Many times I just have to be quiet. And I cannot, my daughter has to tell me sometimes ago that anytime I am asking you for something, you use yourself as an advice. You talk about your own experience. That is not what I'm asking you, what I'm talking about. I want you to listen to what I'm saying now. And reflect on the conversation, not use yourself as an example. Because the conversation, they tend to change around. And we become the main focus of the conversation. So have we, you know, as fathers, especially because I'm, I know many of our children talk about not being able to be approachable towards their fathers. Because everything is about giving rules. And telling you what to do, I'm done with you, and that's it. So, if you, you know, the example might not be from your home, home, but what advice would you give to those kind of fathers, those kind of parents, you know, those kind of um, uh, ways of parenting? I I, I like to take this first. When I was growing up, when I was a teenager, even up till, you know, 1980, when I came to the United States, my first maybe 15 years, I had no television. There was no running water. There was no telephone (laughs) we didn't have a telephone and we didn't you know I did I was someone I there is nothing I didn't do someone was talking about changing diapers I was changing diapers at age 13 14 I was changing my nephew's diaper at age 13 and 14 because my mother made me do it. She taught me how to do it. And so one thing that we, that I had to do, or we had to do as parents growing up and having children is the fact that we had to adjust. Because if we're going, if we're looking at 
what we did and didn't do when we were 13, 14, and 15 in the 60s or 70s. And now you, you have a child who is 13 in the, in the, in the 21st century. It's, it's not the same. It's not the same. I mean, the, the, the challenges, the peer pressure, the environment, everything is different. And so as parents, we have to be able to recognize the fact that we have to change, but at the same time, make sure that our values, our tradition, our culture is not totally compromised. There is is the good America and there is the bad America. You know, just like people say there is evil in everyone and there is goodness in everyone. It depends on which one you feed at any point in time. So our ability to filter out the noise, okay, and then take what's, you know, what's good about this culture and weave it into our own culture to make sure that why we are raising our kids to live in this environment, we're still, you know, they still know who they are. That is the most important thing. Do they know who they are? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank and, you. And that starts, and I'm going to land now. And, and that starts, for me, may not be the same for you, is the name, the name you give to your children. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's um, how you name them and letting them know the meaning and why you name them the way you name them. I think that's the begin- that is the start, you know, yes. for them to know who they are. Because if they don't know who they are, then they will spend the rest of their life trying to be who they're not. And that, that could be very dangerous. Thank Auntie you. Ke- Auntie Kemi, really quickly before, I just want to interrupt really quickly by just acknowledging the fact that I think one of our invited panelists, Mr. Mamadou Sawane, just joined as well. And so he has his hand up. I think he was going to be one of the fathers contributing, if I'm correct. Mr. Mamadou, I don't know if you have something you want to share really quickly before we get into our Q&A, but I want to open it up to you really quickly to share a few words before uh, we get into our open forum. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for that. And I apologize for coming late. Um, and, um, I just finished. So I want to look at that area that you were just talking about, um, the, uh, the relationship between uh, generations, I call them. A few years ago, I used to have from on that intergenerational dialogue where we we look into what are the gaps between parents and the children. There is a gap because we came from Africa with a different uh, mindset and way of, of bringing up. So here, we want to install this in our kids. And they, they are also struggling facing the challenges within the communities and the societies. So how do we, you know, drive this to a point that we can have a mutual relationship 
that will you know breed love, understanding, and and also um, I mean um, accomplishment of goals. So this has been a challenge in our African community, um, to a point that you know we we tend to fall in a victimized by the influence of our streets. So for that being the case, I think when a child expresses to you, Daddy, you don't understand me, um, look at things in, in, his or, in his or her perspective and try to position yourself. So you can say, yes, I understand where you're coming from, but listen, this is the way I think this should be done. For example, you know, uh, my kids used to use another course word in the house. Um, in the beginning, I told them this is definitely against our culture. It is against our religion. Just because you pick up these things from from the street or from school, not okay. I was I struggled, but finally, I haven't been hearing any curse words in the, in, uh, in the house. If they use it, it has to be among themselves, among their friends, friends outside. So this is what can every issue. You have, as a parent, you have to, um, you know, like, uh, you put yourself in a position where, you know, you have to sit down and then your kids don't have to be scared of you. And we are African fathers. We have to tend, we always tend to have this, um, this personality. And not all of us, but most of us, you know, hey, you know, when kids want to say something, you scare them. So they, that's why they go to their mothers. Because, and I, I'm a victim of that. Before I knew this, I used to like cane all my kids around the house, even if they they block their their exams. And I realized that you know it, it scared the hell out of them. So what what ended up happening was that I ended up sitting down and explaining to them the importance of passing your exams, the importance of studying and become successful, instead of caning them all the time because I get I annoyed when I see them failing with all the tips that I given to them in America here in the Western world. Imagine me being struggling in Africa in the farms and so forth. I could get better. I, I was doing better compared to what they're doing. They left. So all these things we have to adjust. And, and I, I learned, you know, later on when I started to adjust, my kids started to they started to perform better. They would say, "Daddy, I want to, Daddy, I think you know, I want to, I want to try the picture. So I have to study hard, try to fail." These are some of the examples I can give, you know, just to make sure that, you know, we, we close this gap and allow, you know, our kids to be comfortable at the same time, you know, understand this. We came from a different background. Even though they are kids, the society here has shaped them in a way that we have to face these challenges and make sure. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you so much, Mr. Mamadou. Um, I really appreciate your contribution. I wish you would have been here <laughs> earlier, but I understand you have a lot to, to do today. So uh, right now, what we're going to do is to turn it over to question and answer. And I'm going to pass it to Miss Mosible of Mosible Podcast. So she's going to take over. I, you know, I really appreciate this. This is so much worth of knowledge that was shared today. And I think this is really powerful. Uh, you know, it's recorded. We're going to post it on our uh, podcast. And, uh, you know, we take it from there. Thank you so much. So can you all hear me? Yeah, I just want to say, also um, echo what Mr. Chet just said about all the panelists. I've 
learned a lot and just sit in the moment and hearing about the diverse experiences. So now we'll open it up for Q&A. We have taken some already from the chat. Uh, so this is your time to either unmute yourself, ask questions. You can also raise your hand and I'll get to you right away. So let's use this time to ask any of our panelists questions you might have about, um, so um, Mr. Fatbonda, you had your hand raised. Did you have a question? No, 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 no. Oh, I'm that sorry. Mrs. Papo. Sorry, sorry, Mrs. Um, Papo. I think. Yes, please go ahead. Uh, oh, hello, everyone. Um, this is um, this is just um, enlightening and just uh, beautiful to be among fathers, African fathers, who are able to share their experiences. And uh, no matter how many years you've been a father or a mother, you, you just keep on learning. From, from people before you and uh, and after you. So my question is, um, because I have adult uh, children and one of my my child um, is married with um, two um, two grandchildren, um, is married and has two sons, so I have two grandchildren. But then I have a daughter who's the the younger of my children. Um, we all, you know, it, it's beautiful to have a, a very strong father a role model because that's the first um, exposure of a daughter of who a, a real like a man is what a man should be and um, many of our, our daughters they've been exposed to good fathers so and because of that um, you know the standard the expectation is usually high because of their upbringing what is expected of, of a man and as they grow older and they get into that space of, okay, choosing a spouse, um, it's a good thing because they know what they want. They know what a good man is. But on the other hand, what I've seen over the years is that many of our young ladies, as they begin to get to that space of choosing a spouse, it's very, very challenging for them, extremely challenging because what they've grown up to be a good man. It's very limited out there for them. And then sometimes you see, oh, you know, what's the delay? Can't you find a good man or all that? And what I've been able to um, pick up from many of the young ladies, including my daughter and other young family members, um, daughters and all the cousins and, and nieces, is that we can decide to get married, you know, within a year because there's men out there. But the quality of men is the issue. Um, we, we, I just, we just can't settle for just any, any man. So that's the issue that I'm beginning to see with our young, um, with our young um, women because choosing partners that are similar to their fathers because that's all they know. And so what do you guys think? You know, I don't know. Anybody can come in. How do you, as a father, prepare your daughter and you prepare them and you're preparing them to be women who knows what's good for them? But when they get to the real world, would they get someone like you? Um, okay. That's the question. Thank you for that. And um, we appreciate that. Just in the interest of time, if you can help us keep your questions really short. So um, what Tapola is asking about preparing our children for marriage and especially for positioning themselves to get the right quality men once they're out of your protective abode as a parent. So um, any of our panelists that would like to chime in on this question, that would be very nice. 
Um, before I go, I think I, I'd like uh, Mr. Babatunde to and Mamadou to go first because I think they have uh, older kids than I have, and uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I might say something. Uh, I'll say you. <laughs> what did you say? I say you all go first. Okay, I, I think I have a um, I have a 17 year old, so I can go for this one. Uh, if you guys don't mind. So go ahead, sir. Yeah, yeah. So um, my, my daughter, I have one daughter. So this is, you know, just me. She's, she's the princess of the house. And um, I, I don't know. It's going to be a problem whoever is going to marry her because this is something that I'm going to be all in. So that being said, I I started preparing her. Um, first of all, I think I, it was just a, she's just a great person. When it comes to like um, studies, um, she's an A student. Um, when it comes to mannerisms, so I didn't have to do much, and uh, and she looks she looks up to me a lot in terms of like you know our grades and stuff like that. So I I, I know what I what I always um, discuss with her is that um, you know about men. I always reveal to her what uh, the you know shortcoming of men that she has to watch out for. And this is not, you know, the shy issue. You sit down and watch, you know, dating, dating, um, dating, you know, episodes and stuff like that in, in TV. I sit down with her in and six that men play, and then what, you know, what are what are what are things that are out there to look at? What is what is it that the the woman and so what? I told my daughter is responsibility. A man has to be up to the up to that responsibility, that task. You cannot have a man that is going to be dependent on you. Uh, make sure that you know whoever you're in, in, in relation with has something to offer. Just because the person looks cute, as in it is a smooth talker, I don't have to. That doesn't pay the bills. Because you have to look at somebody who gonna be as career oriented like you. So I usually have that. And I also position myself. Anything I'm doing, I look to at my daughter, you know, um, as 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 a reference. If I do certain act in the community, or if I'm accused of certain things, how is my daughter going to look at this? And perhaps what kind of example am I setting this to my daughter? Because I is I'm the person that she look up to, and then if she want to emulate. Like me, so she even told me that my first child will be named after That's how much you know, like uh, you know, our relationship is. So I always watch out, and it kind of like keep me on the right path because even you know, like I want to go out and then kind of like um, you know, do some other things, kind of think twice. You know, I have a daughter that is gonna really, you know, you know, I don't want to let down. So you know, if you have that. As a parent, in the back of your mind, you would definitely, um, 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 I mean, how to, how to react to things or how to do a thing. And I always tell my, my, my daughter that, you know, take your time in a relationship. Um, just don't, like, just go, don't go by your emotion, by, but look at the person that you are dating. What is their background? Like, how... Are they, how critical they are, are they? How you know, like uh, caring they are. That you have to look up. 
And we, we really had women in and, and say, we want this person. But at any day, when somebody else comes, we want to go for that one too. So kind of things you have to observe now. Take your time when you're in your relationship and have a good decision with your partner to know what they really look for. Thank you. Thank you. So basically, just modeling what that will look like um, before they go out there. I think that um, perfectly captures that. We have a question from Miss um, Latifa Tabiru. If you can ask your questions quickly, and so that way we can wrap this up. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, thank you to all the panelists for sharing about your experiences and being so open and candid. One of the questions that I would like to ask you all is, you know, you all have talked about how your past experiences, whether it's your grandparents, your um, parents, friends, you all have talked about how it's kind of like informed how you are as a parent. I'm curious about what do you do to actively be open to changing your parent strategy, your parents and strategies? Like, how are you checking what systems do you have in place for checking in with yourself to, to make sure that you're being the kind of parent that you want to be? How are you open to be to receiving feedback and allowing yourself to be changed? Um, so in a nutshell, what are you actively doing to be a better parent? That's a very good one. So basically, what are you doing to be a better parent? Um, anyone wants to take this? Maybe Sambaza, so that way you can hear from him. Okay, Um Thank you, Latifa. Um, I think I try as much as possible to be to be accepting of change. I mean, that's one of the hardest thing as a as a person, first of all, and then as a man. When uh, you you have to make these changes in life and realize that hey, you know, my kids are growing. I have to readjust to the way I'm thinking, as opposed to what I know. Um, yes, at some point. I think my kids are reminding me, oh, yeah, this is what you used to do when you were young. This is not the kind of lifestyle that you have right now. So at some point, it throws me off and I still have to go back and say, you know what? I have to think, rethink what it is. Uh, technology has changed. A lot has changed. So I have to go and um, and and kind of uh, be open to a little bit of change. I know it's really hard, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I try as much as possible. It's one of the hardest things to do as um, as a man on um, my perspective. Um, I want to throw in this thing, uh, one more thing to answer the, the previous question, uh, if you'll allow me, uh, Mo. When you talked about uh, your daughters, how to raise your daughters, uh, there are two things that I noticed about them. I'm going to rush through this. Two things that I've I've noted about some, some girls that I have uh, talked to before. Number one, one of them said that the dad used to take them out to one of these expensive places. I mean, they would be taken out to dinner and it was not going to be a McDonald's or Burger King or something like that. It would be a hundred dollar type dinner whereby, you know, if the next man who's going to take her out will be like, look, um, you have to spend this much money. And the most, you know, you talk about, the girl will keep talking about, oh, my dad takes me out to this. You know, it kind of throws off a man and they'll be like, okay, I want to do what the guy has done before, right? This is somebody who's told me this before. Another one said this, the dad did one queer thing. They always bought flowers every week. And this is not even her dad, it's her stepdad. Bought flowers every single week and gave them. It got to a point till the man, her, her boyfriend said, no, 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 tell him to stop. 
I'm the one who's going to be buying you flowers every week in the house. Right now, let me give it. Let me give you my perspective. We used to buy Christmas uh, trees. Right. And we used to buy those uh, plastic ones. My wife used to bicker. Oh, my dad used to buy fresh, fresh ones every single year. Used to buy fresh ones every single year. Two years down the line, we have been buying fresh uh, Christmas trees since then. So I think there's some things that you would do as a dad to set some standards for your girl so that it puts her or separates her from everybody else and shows her that this is what you would expect of a man for her. And if she carries on that, then whoever comes in takes over from you and, you know, makes her a better person. That's what you hope for. I, I, I think I'll land with that. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, responding to that. Um, someone asked in a chat, Mr. Dolan said, as African parents raise the high standard of education, either to become a doctor, lawyer, or an engineer, how will either of you, either of your fathers, handle issues of your children or child becoming an artist, entertainer, or not so high standard degrees? Ooh, tables are being shaken today. Um, anyone answer that? Maybe Mr. Fakonda. Well, um, my my son is uh, is in the uh, financial business. He he his bachelor's degree is in um, sports management, and he also did a master's degree in sports leadership. And I am an engineer. Okay, and my daughter had a bachelor's degree in business and a master's degree in international development. So I never, never told my kids what to be, but I kept telling them, be the best you can be. And I, uh, before I finish answering this question, there are three things I wanna say about uh, the, the, the other question. The availability is very important as a father. You got to be available. And then the other thing is do not miss the opportunity of a teaching moment. Because some situations will arise, you got to pay attention. And so you got to be able to say, okay, this is what happened. And use it as a teaching moment for your girls, regardless of their age, whether they're single or married and so on. There are things you see and you say, okay. And then the other thing I would say is I tell them you have to be able to identify an authentic human being. Your future husband must be authentic. You cannot find a replica of your father it's not possible because no two people unless you're identical twins will be identical to your father there are some things you have to there there should be some trade-off you know what is very important character is very important Mm. and the person who will be there you can actually simulate some, some scenarios 
so that you see how the guy you're dating and so on will react. You know, that is a way for you to identify the right person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. So, um, that that's, I don't want to take too much of your time, but that that's my, uh, you know, um, Thank you so much, Mr. Hapunga. Appreciate it. Um, Abdullah is to say, sorry if I'm butchering your name. You had your hand up, so just go ahead. No, you're, no, you're, no, you're saying it right. I have got on AirPods and I'm driving. Let me know if my audio goes out. Okay. But the question that I have, and I want to gear my question towards some of our older dads, the well-experienced one, uh, I'm assuming uh, Baba Tunde and, and, and whoever else follows. Um, so... Growing uh, in America and just kind of watching my dad, I really never saw him break down. And it's, 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 it's hard to imagine that uh, he's never had a reason to break down. And, and I know uh, uh, Baba Tunde mentioned, I think that was like one of his comments was just uh, being like a strong dad and all of that. And uh, obviously there's, there's a lot of value in that. Um, now for... I, I would say I like our generation and, you know, the, uh, some of us who are, uh, you know, more, uh, I guess a little bit more woke in a way. And, you know, we're a little bit more in tune with our feelings. Um, how can I, because I, I'm, I, I am a dad and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a newer dad. Uh, my, my kid is two and a half years old and I do have an infant. Um, what can you tell some of us younger dads who, uh, want to be more uh, in tune and, and, and open about like our emotions and, and are, are more transparent than, you know, some of like our older dads who, uh, again, like you never see the breakdown. Um, how could you uh, manage your, your emotions um, and, and, and leverage that because there, there is value in, in, in being um, an open person? Uh, while while still um, leveraging the value of being like a strong dad, in a way. So Thank that's, you that's so the much question that. That, that I want. So the question is really about emotional um, availability and even vulnerability, especially for our men when it comes to um, showing that side to their children. So. Well, uh, thank you. You you mentioned my name, and I'm going to take a shot at this. There is one saying that I, you know, my, my, my son and daughter and even my wife, I say this a lot. The first casualty of emotions is reason. We, we as human beings have to be emotional. And we have to be vulnerable because you will be vulnerable. When I'm talking about strength, I'm talking about strength and weakness. What I mean by that is there is that God did not guarantee that everything will be okay from the day you were born until you die. So we as human beings would have to experience something that will make us, uh, that would test who we are. And so being strong doesn't mean that you cannot be emotional about what's going on. 
I mean, if you go to your to your to your sons or daughters' uh, game, you gotta get excited, you know, because in that situation, that is what you have to do. You're showing that the support. But what I'm trying to say is, when things aren't going well, okay, you as the head of the family, you can't break down. You cannot. You have to. You have to be strong. But that doesn't mean that you can. You cannot show that. You know, you can cry. That's okay. You can cry. I've cried. I, I, I cry more than I smile sometimes because I get emotional. But the, 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 the thing is, you are conveying something. You know, it doesn't mean you're weak. That's not what you're saying. What you're saying is, but at the same time, you don't want to be carried away by emotions so that you miss, you know, the, the right thing for you to do at any particular point in time. Depending you, on, on the situation. Thank you so much. That, um, that makes sense. Do I, do it does. I, that makes sense. It, it does. It does. Uh, Mr. Disu, I, I like I would like to hear your thoughts on this as well. The emotional bit, and lovely to see your daughter. She's so cute. <laughs> uh, thank you. I am a father to a five-year-old daughter, so I think in in many ways I'm still trying to figure out um, the balance in in being strong. Uh, figure as, as a symbol of strength uh, for for my kid as well as uh, showing vulnerability and I think I I would I would naturally fall um, in line with someone like Abdullah Sise who has spent a, a, um, a long time living and growing up in the U.S. and who who understands that yes. It's, it's important and perhaps even necessary in the foreign environment, living in the U.S., to, to, to be, it's okay to be vulnerable and allow for my child to, to learn about life and seeing how I deal with vulnerability in, in difficult situations. Um, I, I won't take any more time. Uh, I think I'm going to naturally fall more in in being more vulnerable um, than my father was in in the household yeah thank you so much um we we're gonna have a hard let me just uh sorry let me just say something to abdullah he say abdullah (laughs) thank you so much for attending i know i've always involved you in so many community conversations and the next one is going to be you and kilichi as a new, you know, young father who are raising your children in America and you grew up in this country. So you are the next one. Be ready for that. No pressure, yeah. Um, we're just going to have a hat stop. We've had um, a very, yes? Can I, can I interject here for a little sure, second? Sure, sure. Yeah. There's a very important question that was posed here by someone, and I don't think that we, it was, it's some topic that we can discuss today because it's really a tough one. Um, the one that's what do you expect of your child as a parent especially an African uh-huh. parent as being an immigrant uh, what do you expect them to be as a doctor as a, as a lawyer as you know if they want to be an actor I think that is a very very tough subject that we should give it its own merit and talk about it as one subject for a day 
Um, I think we're not doing it justice when we just pass through it as just a question. Thank you. Thank and you. with regard to being vulnerable, um, I think I'll go with Babatunde and Samidisu. We have to choose what we want to be vulnerable about. You um, Personally, I would say um, being African, you're the man. You stand, and this is an African man, you stand to be the head of the household. You have to show some type of um, restraint to a point. I'm not saying that you don't cry. If it really takes, really is taking your heart, my advice, this is my opinion, I would go to a certain room and and bust my eyes out. It's not that I don't want to show my kids that I am vulnerable. They will see the vulnerability in me. A child can tell that this man is vulnerable. To cry, yes, they'll, I'll show them. But you cannot, you, you have, you choose which or what you are going to be vulnerable about. You know, you like Babatunde said, don't be taken away by emotions and just, you know, cry, 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 cry. It doesn't make sense. So that's one point I wanted to put in there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so we, if you still want to linger on after our closing, you're more than um, welcome to stay behind, but we just want to honor our time. Um, and thank you for all of the questions. Our podcast names, I've been putting them as a slideshow. If you'd like to be a part of our um, conversations, make sure you check us out on socials. And I'm going to put all of that again in the in the chat. I'm going to hand it over now to Nancy to close us up. Hi, everyone. Again, uh, this has been, we can all admit, this has been a very powerful conversation and a well-needed conversation. Thank you so much for joining. And um, just to highlight our panelists, Thank you, Auntie Kimi, Kilechi, Mo. Thank you, guys. And um, it's a common theme from what I've just been listening. I'm a single parent. I've learned so much from all of you fathers um, that we continue, even though we are outside of our own countries, we are continuing to install our values and our cultures in our children. And there's so much to learn. Uh, thank you for so much insight and uh, inspiration. This conversation is going to continue on our platforms, as um, Mark has mentioned. We have our, our names are in right there <laughs> in the slide. Um, but yes, follow us. Um, we are all podcasters, and. Um, our next conversation on in this on this forum will continue with the fathers that are first generation in America. So to all of you fathers, happy Father's Day. And um, thank you so much for showing up for your children.